So let's start with the story itself. Let's look first at the judge. Um, You've already noticed that it says he neither feared God nor cared about what other people thought. Now, according uh, to, you know, in any day, we have an idea of what is an ideal judge. We have an idea in our day. They had an idea in their day. And particularly, they believed that judges should fear God. Now, by that, they meant they should respect God's authority. And the judge would be impartial, eager to defend the oppressed, do what was best for people. And in doing that, they would earn the respect and affection of people. So this idea of favor with the people, well, the idea was if a judge did their job well, they would have favor with others. Now, in Jesus' day, secular judges were not particularly um, known for these sorts of principles. They were notoriously corrupt. And sadly, in our day, we have corrupt public officials as well. And just this week, the college admission scandal reminds us that that's not just in the legal system, it's in all sorts of systems as well. Now, this judge is so corrupt, he doesn't even care what people think. And literally, what that text says is he felt no shame before the people. So no matter whether he judged fairly or not, he didn't feel any shame in whatever he decided. He swayed neither by moral principle nor public opinion. And so those without friends in high places or enough money to bribe him had no hope of justice. So that's the judge. And now we have this woman, and as Katie pointed out, this woman is a widow, which makes her even more vulnerable than in culturally women were at the time. Now, widows along with orphans and refugees are the first century's equivalent of vulnerable adults. And widows were particularly vulnerable. Um, You may or may not know this, but um, at the time that the story was told, Women were often married in their teens, sometimes as young as 13 or 14. Now, we don't do that today, and I think that's wise, but that was often what happened. And men were the primary wage earners. There were very few ways for women to earn money. And so, in this case, without anything remotely resembling Social Security, her husband dies, and she has no visible or independent means of support. And it seems she doesn't have a family who can take her in and take care of her. So, most likely, she's poor, which means even a small bribe would have been impossible for her. The odds are stacked against her, and you could hardly blame her if she decided to give up, become bitter, and angry, but she doesn't. Instead, we find out in verse 3 that she plays the only card she has, and several of you mentioned this. She begins to bother this judge until he gives in and gives her what she wants. Now, David referred to the phrase bothering, um, and actually, literally, in the Greek text, it is gives him a black eye. Now, that's an idiom in the culture that is translated. It's somebody who's bothering someone. So metaphorically, he ends up feeling like he's battered and bruised and has two black eyes because she continues to bother him. So even though he doesn't fear God or care about what anyone thinks, her persistence wears him down. He's so annoyed, he finally gives in and gives her what she wants just to get rid of her. And that's really all there is to the story. The problem is there's this desperate, powerless, oppressed woman whose only hope is a selfish, corrupt judge. And her solution, she says, I don't have anything to lose and maybe a lot to gain. She bothers him until she gets what she wants or what she needs. And he's so annoyed that eventually he gives in, even though his attitude and his heart remain unchanged. Now, it's then that Jesus explains how the story works. And he doesn't say it explicitly, but the way this story is told is it fits a pattern. And the pattern is a how much more story. So the way Jesus tells it is, even if a rotten judge, one who doesn't care about God or care about this widow, can be persuaded to do the right thing, how much more will God, who cares about justice, who cares about the vulnerable, care for us? So it's a how much more story. So 
Sometimes in parables, there are individuals who represent maybe God or someone else. And in this case, the judge kind of represents God, but there's also a contrast to God. God is loving and cares um, and powerful, um, but he's not exactly like the judge. So what he's saying is, in prayer, because as uh, I can't remember who it was, I think uh, um, well, somebody said, you know, Jesus gives the point of the story. We're to be persistent in prayer right up front. Um, and so he says the point here is just like this widow who had to ask this man who didn't care about her, um, we're to pray and remember that we pray to a God who cares deeply for us, who promises to listen, and in the end meets our needs. And then I think it was Phil who pointed out at the very end this wistful hope that when Jesus returns, he'll find people who are faithfully continuing to pray um, to the end. And he promises that everything will be made right in the end. So until that day, there's going to be some loose ends, but we're told to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what do we do with this story? For the last few months, we've tried each week to talk about how we're going to live this out. What do we do with this story? Well, the way Jesus tells the story is this widow sets an example of how we're to pray. Now, her only hope in the story is an unjust judge. By contrast, our hope is a righteous and loving God. In the story, her strategy is to bother him so persistently, this judge so persistently, that he'll eventually give in, even though he has no interest in her case. And our strategy is to pray to a God who loves us deeply, who wants to give us what we need, and is only waiting for us to ask. So there's a contrast, even though there are some parallels to how we're to live this out. I think Jesus told us this story for two reasons. One is to remind us of what God is like. So someone, I think, mentioned that um, the faith that we can have, I think it was Heidi mentioned, there's, or, or Brett mentioned the faith that we can have, that that's an implicit message that Jesus wants to convey, that God is powerful, loving, and ready to listen to our prayers, and we can trust him. And also, that we continue to, to need to continue to ask him for what we need, even if from our perspective, it seems that God isn't listening. So let's talk about the first of these applications or these ways we can live it out. Persistence in prayer is an act of faith in a powerful and loving God. So prayer is not an act of last resort. Now, let me just a con true confession time here. Um, I don't always pray when I should, especially when I think, I've got this. I know how to do this. And so there are times when my first response is to try to take care of something on my own because I think, oh, I know how to do this. Um, and then something goes wrong, and it's only then that I pray. Now, don't get me wrong. We're to be people of action. We're not to just sit back passively and pray and ask God for things that he's given us the ability to do. But everything we do, even our actions, should start with prayer, asking God to work in our actions and when we face obstacles that are beyond us, to work in those as well. So prayer is an act of faith. It's an expression of our human weakness, but God's divine power. So we may not feel adequate, but we understand that God is. It acknowledges our powerless, our dependence upon God, um, as well as understanding that God is working to work his will here on earth. So humanly speaking, prayer seems kind of weak, doesn't it? It's just words. And that's not the way that Jesus sees it. He seems to say, listen, prayer is one of the most important things that you can do because it taps into the power of God in our lives. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that one of my mistakes that I often make is to pray, is not to pray when I feel confident I can handle things on my own. But there's an equally opposite error that we can make as well. 
And that is that the challenge we face is so large, we can't imagine how circumstances can change. So it may be something personal, it may be a health issue or a marriage problem or a financial challenge, but whatever it is, it just seems way beyond us. We don't feel like we can fix it, so we just give up and don't pray. It could also be something that's local or national or global. There might be an issue um, such as uh, um, uh, problems that seem so huge that we can't imagine that our prayers will even make a difference. So instead, what we do is we start to tweet rather than pray. And what if we stopped ranting on Facebook and decided instead to pray about the challenges that our world faces? This week, I was uh, reading about a German pastor who lived through World War II and preached faithfully during that entire time with great opposition. But he preached to the people, and what they did, even though they felt politically powerless, is they prayed. They had no political authority, but they believed that God had given them an even greater power, the ability to pray, and the opportunity to pray for peace and liberation from tyranny. And they believed that their prayers in the end made a difference. So whenever we see injustice, whether it's at work or in school or the government, he was saying, don't despair. And we may feel powerless, but rather than giving up or whining on Twitter, he would say, commit to pray. Prayer, he said, is a world power that must be taken seriously. Nothing is so great that our prayers are not greater. And the widow in this story faces anything as great as we might. The political economic power that she had was almost nothing and faced with this judge. But rather than whine, she, she prayed for justice. So Jesus says, follow her example and pray. So this is a metaphor, an example, and an allegory of what we're to do when we pray. And it worked for her, and it will work for us. So that's the first point, is that we have faith in the power and a loving God, a loving and powerful God. The second lesson is that prayer is a discipline of persistence. It's obvious to anyone who prays at all is that sometimes our prayers aren't answered, at least not quickly. And sometimes they're not prayed, perhaps not at all. Now, this story wasn't written to tell us everything we may want to know about prayer. One of the most important questions that you may have asked, and I know many have asked, I've asked, is how long do I have to wait? And Jesus doesn't answer the question directly here. Other places in the Bible give us some ideas, although I will tell you, we don't have a complete answer about why God answers prayers sometimes and doesn't answer others. But the point Jesus makes here is that we're to never give up. The woman in the stories feels she has no other options. So even though at different moments in the story, you can imagine she thought, this is worthless. I have little to show for my effort. And yet she kept, kept at it, believing that one day she'd get the answer that she needed. Unanswered prayer often makes many of us quit or at least want to quit. After all, if we're not getting what we want, how can we think, how can we keep at it? But the story tells us we need to keep at it because God is good, because he's powerful, and to keep asking because he can be trusted. Now, somebody said, you know, it makes it sound like uh, we might be badgering God, bothering God. Now, I don't think the point of the story is that we badger God just because we want something selfishly or uh, we want stuff or success. As I said a few weeks ago, I think that's an okay place to start, but we should open our hearts enough to allow God to redirect our prayers. And that may be that something that you wanted or thought you needed wouldn't be good for you. And be open to the fact that Jesus, or God may say to you, you know what, no, I don't think that would be helpful. And when that happens, we need to say, thy will be done. But because God is not like this uncaring, insensitive, and corrupt judge, but rather loving, there may be occasions when he says no to us, 
because he knows what is best for us. Sometimes what he wants to do is to transform us, to see us grow, to be more like him, to be people of character. So he may allow a hardship or difficulty to enter our lives in order to get our attention and focus us to grow. But in the meantime, we should pray about what concerns us and pray persistently until we hear from God. Now, let me just tell you, a few weeks ago, we talked about prayer in another context when we were uh, uh, in in a sermon, and um, someone asked me, how long should I keep praying for something, and when should I give up? And my answer is, in general, I think we should keep praying until we get a definitive no, or until maybe our motives are revealed, and we understand that maybe we are praying a selfish prayer, or there's some other inappropriate motive. So in other words, we should keep praying for what we want, as long as we understand it fits within God's will, we should keep praying. And then I told her that I've been praying for something for over 35 years, and recently looked like the prayer might be answered, and then I got a no, or at least a not yet. I don't know that it's a definitive no, and so I'm going to keep praying until some way or another God says no. Now, before we go today, let me just give you a challenge, and that is that including today, there are 15 more days in the month of March. So March is a month with 31 days, so between today and the end of the month, we've got 15 more days left. So would you consider committing to pray persistently every day during the rest of this month? And what you could do is uh, take a little time today, a piece of paper, write out a list, and that list might have three, five, ten things on it. I encourage you to think about things that you're struggling with, an area of life that you might need wisdom about. Um, Maybe there's a need you have or someone close to you has. Write it down. Uh, And maybe consider praying for one sort of really big kind of like geopolitical thing, like uh, racial justice or climate change or a solution for the international refugee crisis. Those things seem almost intractable, don't they? And then set aside a few moments each day, a few minutes each day, to pray for those in the next 15 days. Now, what you may find is that one or two of those prayers might well get answered. What I do is I put a little red check. You could highlight it. You could circle it. Um, If nothing changes, commit to continue to pray, maybe even beyond those 15 days. The story Jesus told tells us that even if life looks bleak, don't despair, but instead pray. And if things are going well, don't get trapped into the idea that you've got it, that you've got it covered. Pray, asking God to guide and provide for you along the way. And when you see something that feels overwhelming, don't give up, but pray boldly. Pray that God's will would be done in the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the writers who wrote down the words we find in the Bible. Um, For those who especially recorded the sayings and stories and events of the life of Jesus. The one who came in human flesh to show us what you are like. Father, may we take the lesson that we've heard today, this lesson that Jesus taught about this persistent widow, and may we, when we feel vulnerable or alone or when we feel as though there's nothing else that we can do, may we not give up and despair, but may we pray. May we pray persistently, diligently. May we even run the risk of bothering you with our requests, asking you for what we need. And Father, work in our lives, showing us how you want us to grow. But in the meantime, Father, we pray that we would receive the answers to our prayers, knowing that you are a powerful and loving God, not at all like this corrupt judge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.